The third annual Icelandic Roots Fitness Challenge will be held from June 11th to August 6th. Participants of all ages are welcome to participate, so invite your friends, family, and neighbors. This year, we have two beautiful virtual routes to choose from. The Snifelsnes Peninsula, best suited for individual participants, and the West Fjords route, best suited for teams. Each route features milestone markers with stunning photos and informational stories, so you can enjoy a bit of Iceland from wherever you are located. The admission fee is $25 US per person, with all proceeds going towards maintaining the extensive Icelandic Roots genealogy database, annual Icelandic Roots scholarships, and community grants. For more details, please visit our website, www.icelandicroots.com forward slash event hyphen calendar, or sign up for our free newsletter, www.icelandicroots.com forward slash online hyphen options. Welcome to the Icelandic Roots podcast, where we celebrate the heritage, culture, and history of Iceland through stories, music, and interviews with interesting people. Hello, and you're psyched, Will. Sile, Natalie. How you doing? Good. I'm excited again for today's episode. Will, I have some podcast news to share with you. Podcast news. What is it? We have reached over 1,000 downloads for our podcast. Boom. Wow. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. So thank you to everyone who's been listening and following along. We've got some great episodes coming out this year. So if you are enjoying the podcast, tell, tell a friend. That would be great. Yeah, these first five episodes we've made uh, have been a real treat for me. It's been a pleasure to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, like personally, I was thinking like, I'm going to do this even if nobody listens. This is valuable for us as being in the Icelandic Roots community, but it's it's also valuable to the people we're interviewing because it's just leading to some great conversations and some good networking all around. But yes. uh, that's great to hear. We got a thousand downloads. Like, heck yeah. I'm, uh, and I'm excited for what's to come for sure. Yeah, me too. I'm learning so much with everybody we talk to. It's a, real, it's a real treat to get to do this. And today we are talking to an Icelandic Roots volunteer named Jason Doctor. At Icelandic Roots, we are entirely run by volunteers. So we volunteer to do this podcast because we love it. But we also have such a neat variety of people who are passionate about Icelandic culture, heritage, genealogy that are coming together to make it all happen. And Jason is one of them. The topic of this interview with Jason was about Icelandic sagas, mapping, and kind of combining that with the genealogy work that's been done by Icelandic roots. So what what is a saga? Is that is that a dumb question? I mean, okay, I've read I've read some of the sagas. I think I have an idea. I know that the word comes from the word to speak. Saga, saga, some something. It means to yeah. speak, and it's because these stories were initially spoken and not written down. But I, I ask you to because I'm constantly trying to figure out what what it means. I mean, it's just a story, right? Is that all it is, or is it something more? Today, I mean, saga has transcended Icelandic 
gets thrown around for all kinds of stories, usually, usually epic stories, I think. And you'll hear like the Star Wars saga, because <laughs> there's just so many stories contained in there. But right. I think more historically or traditionally, the sagas are like a collection of works from a certain time period that chronologize. I don't know if that's the right word, but keeps track of, you know, the, the settlement of Iceland, the early families, the feuds they had, some of the more momentous events that happened, like converting to Christianity. And you're hearing that from me. And you'll see in the interview that I myself have not read any of the sagas. <gasps> but <laughs> what kind of ice cream are you? I have read about them. So I've, <laughs> okay. I've heard other people tell me what the sagas are about. I've seen some performances sure. of the sagas. So I, I have a gist of what's going on, but I haven't sat down and read the, the translated text. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, until you read them in Icelandic, it probably doesn't count either. And the sagas don't just cover Iceland as an isolated place, but like these characters went back and forth between Norway. They went back and forth between, you know, the Orkney Islands. And so it's a collective sort of snapshot of time that no one else was writing down, which is pretty remarkable. And so I'm sure Jason's going to get into it in your interview, but what, how, what does that have to do with Icelandic roots here? We're not writing our own saga but we are keeping yeah. track of what these sagas mean to us today. It's kind of twofold. What you've touched on is like sort of the next phase that would be really cool to see. What the saga project for Icelandic Roots means is keeping track of the locations that are mentioned in the sagas. There is this saga map project that was completed a number of years ago that was made as an open source resource, which thanks to Jason was sort of connected to our organization. And between him and um, Doug Hansen, who is our geocoding map expert, they have taken all the, and other people have been helping, of course, overlaying the Saga location map with our map resource where you can go in and see where your ancestors lived, what farm they were born on, where they moved to. And you, I was playing around with it this morning. You can go in, you can find your family farm, you know, write it down so you don't forget. Go into the Saga Places function and you can type in the farm and you can search for Saga locations within a radius of like 10, 20, 50 kilometers. And it will pop up with all these places and it will tell you this farm was in this saga and you can read about it on these pages. Wow. So yeah. next time you're visiting, you know, your cousins in Iceland, you can be like that, like just a mile away is where Skallagrim, you know, killed that guy or whatever. Right? Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Or like if, um, I'll quote, I'll talk about Greta's saga because it's the one I know the most about is like, if your family was from Skagafjörður, you could find the farm and say, okay, how close was my family from where like Greta was born? 
you know, you could see more things when you go to Iceland, do a tour and, you know, kind of just be more informed about the history of the place. That's cool. This is not like a, an official plug because we're in no way affiliated, but there's a podcast called The Saga Thing. And it's these two, I think they're American, but they're two scholars who studied in Iceland and know the sagas and they have been working through the sagas and then they have episodes where they break it down. They discuss what happened and they give oh. their like opinions on what has happened. And it, I started listening and I chose like the notoriously really short, short one about Thorstein in the East. It's a couple pages to read, but I was like, oh, I'll listen to them talk about it. And it made it much more exciting. Before we jump to the interview with Jason, I just wanted to talk very briefly about the new TV series, Vikings Valhalla. Now, there's a lot of chat on our Facebook group with our Icelandic Earth members about this show. And so I thought, oh, let's just briefly touch on it for the podcast. So that if anyone is listening to us and is also watching that show, I love the show Vikings and I haven't started this show yet, but I did read a synopsis and they have, it seems that they have taken a lot of dramatic historical liberties to make their plot better in their opinion, maybe for their audience who's less familiar. So if you are watching or you're planning to watch, just be aware that the events, the order of the time, the people and places are not accurate as per what we know. And it, yeah, it, it's kind of disappointing because it focuses on Leif Erikson and we know so much about him that- Yeah, he's probably the him. most, we know the most about him. And he did so many specific, exciting, de like definitely real things. Yes. Uh, <laughs> documented things. Things like they got his birthplace wrong and they've made him interact with people that he probably never met okay and i think they make his sister have a relationship with a king that probably never happened okay and so it'll be watch it for entertainment and then if you really want to know more about then read the saga read the read the saga about like the vinland saga or even just you know do some research from a like a trusted source it's funny it's an original history channel programming which sounds like it should be educational but far more uh, entertainment than yes than educational. unfortunately we have all seen the downward spire spiral of the history channel over the years mm -hmm. or being in middle school sitting there watching world war ii documentaries with my dad yeah it was legit history yeah. now you've got ancient aliens and uh <laughs> pawn stars and uh okay Iceberg truckers, which is more reality TV than right, right, yeah. No, nothing against all these shows or anybody who watches them, but like, yeah, uh, where has the history gone? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you for that public service announcement. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I am excited for you guys to hear the interview with Jason and learn more about Saga Project history, how it came about, and how wonderful the sagas are. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. 
I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, what your passions are, and your role within Icelandic Roots. Sure, great to be here. So my name is Jason Doctor. Uh, I'm a professor at University of Southern California. Um, that means I live in California. <laughs> and uh, I also work with Icelandic Roots as a volunteer. I'm a director of social media. And I work a lot uh, with promoting uh, events and uh, uh, also carrying out the mission of Icelandic Roots related to uh, education and uh, providing uh, resources and links to education through social media. In addition to that, I work on something called the Saga Project, which is a collaboration between Icelandic Roots and the University of Iceland to integrate data on uh, locations of places where Saga events took place and uh, genealogy data in Icelandic Roots. So that project helps tie people and their ancestral farms and places where their grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents lived to events in the sagas. And that way, our hope is, is that uh, that will become something that will bring people, using technology will help bring people closer to things that their grandparents, great-grandparents knew just by living there. You know, like, oh, that hill over there is where this event happened. Now. We, you can go into Icelandic Roots, go to the farm and see where events happened uh, and learn more about the sagas to make them uh, more readable and enjoyable and more, you know, a part of your life, so to speak. I'm very excited to see those places and explore that feature because when, well, for many reasons, but I spent a summer in Hofsos as a mm -hmm. Snorri intern at the museum. And I met a girl there whose family farm was called, I think it was called Manskala Holt or something like that. Mm -hmm. And she said, in English, it means man killer hill. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, some battle happened, but I don't know what it was. So I'm like, was it from the sagas? Like I, I'd be curious if it's- Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> interesting. We could look at that now that we have the, the project is up and running. so. You send me the name of the farm, I, I can look into it and uh, okay, we'll, we could find out. But yeah, I'm actually going to go to Hopsos this summer, and I hope before I go, and if anyone in Icelandic Roots who involved in Icelandic Roots um, goes to Iceland, I recommend go, go to the Saga project and identify where you're going to go, and then look to see what events took place in that area. Uh, for which sagas and then try to read those sagas and understand when you're there like wow this is where you know Gretis did this or you know picked mm -hmm. up a giant stone or um, this is where this battle happened and um, really try to you know make it real because th there was so much effort put into by the saga writers to like you said name every hill name every every meadow that um, where some event took historical event of our ancestors took place. And uh, that's just really special that you can do that and go back and look and, and see those places, so. I'm curious, how did you get involved in the Saga Project itself? So the Saga Project, I think um, I knew about, I, so I was 
curious about uh, the sagas and I started reading them um, on my own and I would listen to saga podcasts. There's a lot of great saga podcasts out there that are fun and enjoyable. And um, so I heard about the, what's called the Saga Map, which is a project started by Professor Emily Lethbridge at University of Iceland. She started actually, it was an idea of hers as a postdoc. She went around Iceland in an old land, I think it was either a Land Rover or a Land Cruiser. I think it was Land Rover because it was uh, British. Hmm. Uh, and she and it would break down a lot. And she actually got some help from some Icelandic Roots volunteers at one point. Kathy Josephson and her husband put her up for a couple of days when she was in Vapnafjordr because uh, oh, cool. she her truck broke down. But she would go around and think about, is this really worth doing? Should I, should I map all the places in the sagas? There's a large number of family sagas. I think there's roughly 40, depending on which ones you include, which ones you don't. Mm -hmm. And those are the sagas of the first settlers, and it covers you know the first couple hundred years of uh, of life there, and it's all the all the relationships and and interpersonal battles. What's really interesting is like they're not interested in like the northern lights or the volcanoes. They are just interested in like what did this person do to me, and now I've got to retaliate, or um, how do we become friends? How do I make peace? It's all the human relationship stuff. Uh, but anyway, she was going around Iceland and uh, decided to do this project. And what, you know, using te modern technology, she used something called ArcGIS, which is a way to geocode locations. And she worked with her team. It was a tremendous amount of work that, you know, they had to take every saga, go find the place that they were talking about, look to see is this the river where this happened, geocode it, and then put annotate all the information about that. It's in chapter four of this saga. Um, you know, it, it, it talks about these characters, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of annotated data in there. And then they mapped everything. So then you could go back in, it's organized, it can be organized by saga, by chapter. Um, you go back in, you say, I wanna say, I wanna see all the places where, um, you know, Greta's saga, uh, took place and it'll map it for you and you can click on those items you can see you know more get more information about where to look in the book for that 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 place that physical location and so I thought this was really cool so I um, was already kind of just starting to get involved with Icelandic roots and I said to Suna uh, I said yeah you know there's this thing called Saga map I'd found out that it was open access, so they had made all the data available for public use, as long as you also use it for the public. And we, we plan to do that as well to make uh, Saga maps that are available to everyone. And I said, let's, I, I downloaded this data, let's, let's use it, let's integrate it with um, all the Icelandic places. And it was actually good timing because Doug Hansen has been working for several years now, since I think around 2017, 2018, to get all the Icelandic places for farms and churches and other locations into the Icelandic Roots database from government records, mm -hmm. um, going back to the beginning of the 20th century uh, when they had taken that sort of survey of all the farms before they had all, be many of them had become abandoned and 
the Northeast when a lot, a lot of people went to the United States and to Canada. Doug had all these places and we had all these geocoded locations. So then we were able to not only integrate Saga characters and, and that are in our database, our genealogical database, but also integrate, you know, where on these farms, these events happen. So now members can go, if they go to Iceland or even if they're at their home, they can say, hey, this is my, my grandfather was born on this farm or my great-grandfather was born on this farm and what at Saga events happened there. And then you can say, well, there's events within two kilometers of there or one kilometer and you can look and wow. read about it. And so it's pretty exciting, I think. I actually found some literature from a woman, Icelandic writer, that um, suggested one of her greatest regrets was that she couldn't show her children. Uh, she was a Western Westerner who'd come to Canada and she couldn't show her children the actual physical places of her ancestors and the events that happened. And so to me, I thought, wow, this is really cool. We're helping bring this information to her children, grandchildren, et cetera. So that, that motivated me also. I, I thought that was really interesting. Yes. It really makes a difference if you can travel to Iceland and see, stand on a farm where you know your ancestors were. Like, there's something special about that. Yeah. Same with the sagas. Now, I fully admit I have not read any of the sagas yet, but I have read about them. <laughs> and I enjoy the stories. It's just, if they're in my reading stack, which is probably several meters high, you know? Yeah. But I really enjoyed having the benefit of my husband who has read many sagas when we would travel and we did part of the, the southern route. So between yeah. him and then our, our tour guide, Kent Bjornsson, he also volunteers for Iceland. Right, Kent, yeah. Yeah, and they would point out together, like, those are the three hills where one of the characters in Yal Saga hit out and here's the place mm -hmm. where they took refuge on a farm and here's where they spent their last hours. And it just really paints, it brings those stories to life, right? That's great. Yeah, the uh, Yal Saga takes place all over the island. So, you know, you can pretty much go anywhere yeah. and find some <laughs> something that happened from that saga. What, one thing that I, I learned a lot from having this information, this physical information. So one thing you learn, and also the genealogic information in Icelandic Roots database. One thing that you learn is that some of the saga writers weren't really from these areas they're writing about, especially some of the East Iceland sagas. And, the, and a few other sagas I've noticed where they'll grab a whale from um, the beach and then they'll haul it within you know, six hours up to the geyser and you know, and the golden circle, you're like, wait a minute, how could three people haul a whale <laughs> in six hours that far? You know, it took me, you know, half the day just to drive there from the beach. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's not all realistic, but um, a lot of the events are real. And with respect to the genealogy in the database, what I, what I find is that uh, the saga, many of the saga characters were real people. Um, but sometimes the story is built around other people who are not in the database who either aren't listed or possibly are there 
to support the story, you know, that this, the story, so it's a real mix of reality and fiction to tell a tale. You know? Yeah. Do you have a favorite saga? Well, I think Nyalt Saga is uh, considered, you know, one of the foremost Icelandic sagas in terms of literature, in terms of its quality, um, in terms of the issues that it addresses. So, you know, it addresses a lot of issues around, you know, friendship and gender roles. You know, a lot of the women in the saga are actually more violent than the men, but they carry it out in ways that are kind of underneath the surface of what the gender norms allow them to do. Mm -hmm. So the men want peace and the women are fighting and that's really interesting. Uh -huh. um, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, Njalt can't grow a beard and his masculinity is challenged and uh, his friend is, you know, this really burly guy who, and a good fighter, but doesn't want to be, you know, a violent person. And so that kind of like the, the expectations of people in society is really interesting and and that that's dealt with a, a lot in the saga in the sagas. Um, I have a I also have a personal interest in the sagas of East Iceland because that's where a lot of my family comes from. So the saga of people of Vapnafjordr is interesting to me. Thorstein the White, uh, Thorstein Staffstruck is another shorter saga that uh, is really well written and a fantastic story. I'll have to check those ones out because yeah. that is where my family comes from as well as the the east north corner. Yeah. Like so many Western Icelanders. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thorstein Thorstein the White? Yes. That sounds very low. He had white hair. <laughs> he had white hair. And so they call him Thorstein the White. Okay. It's common to name to give people nicknames based on their appearance. Yes. And some common names today, Icelandic names are a reflection of that. So Kolbrun means, you know, black brow and Kolskegi's black beard and um, Vita is white. So it's, if you're either blonde or your hair turns gray when you're young, you know, Thorstein Vita, you know, that's Thorstein the white. So then you have kettle flat nose and no one, no one names their kid flat nose today, but you could be named Colburn. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I never, I never thought of that. The kids names that my son went to school with, I thought it was really cute. I know this isn't saga related, but my son's name is Thor and he had yeah. classmates Odin and Balder. <laughs> and right. I was with a fray in the school and it's like, oh, this is so neat. <laughs> it's so there's such like names with such powerful meanings. That's right. The sagas or old Norse. And yet it's just, it's just normal. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Another saga. So again, I, I'm saying this as someone who hasn't read the original text, but I really like Gretar saga. Yes. We're told that usually if you're in the Snorri program and you get to go up to Hofsos, usually you hear a shortened version of it and i also watched a great movie called rookland where the main character is obsessed with gretter and so having been to drunge and yeah. seeing the place i i can't remember if it's where he was born or it's a farm that he was on mm -hmm. 
if I hadn't been with people who knew where it was, I wouldn't know where to go. So being able to go into our database. Right. Plan yeah, that takes place a lot in right around Hafsos. And yeah. uh, it's such an interesting saga because it's one of the few sagas that a lot of the sagas aren't like post Shakespearean literature where they talk about your internal struggles or what people are thinking or what they're, but Greta's saga really focuses on his inner conflict and, you know, the, the personal problems he faces. He's this strong guy who's a hero, but also he's afraid of the dark and he has a lot of anxiety. He doesn't get along well with people. So yeah, it, it's supposed to, it's really, it's just fascinating to me. It was written like a thousand years ago and yet it applies so much today to people's own struggles with psychological struggles. Yes. And how they fit in and do they fit in um, that, that you could be living back then and, and face many of the same challenges so much so that they wrote a, a story about it. You know? Yeah. What the places are live and they're in the map and the database right now. Is there much more work to do or have you guys tackled at all? There is, there's a lot of work to do around the saga characters. So we're in the process of making sure many of the saga characters are already in the database. Um, but we're, we're going through and carefully looking to see if they're all there and who's not there sometimes people are there but they're not well indicated as their role in the saga so it'll just say that they were a bondy at some farm a farmer you know without really right. telling you like oh well this person was in the saga actually they had this role in this part that so we're trying to update that information um, in addition some people if you think about the database the genealogic database it's it's always looking backwards, right? So the people interested in genealogy have made it to whatever time in history that they start looking backwards, right? So they're really most concerned with their direct ancestors. They're less concerned with people whose lines may have died out. So we found some saga characters who are related to people that start off in the database and then they branch off and, but their line ends, there's no, they don't have any children or they, you know, and so they're not represented in the database because a lot of the people in the database are there because the survivors, the people in our generation, the generation before us and so forth that were interested in genealogy were able to trace backwards. So we were trying to add some of those characters. Mm. Yeah. So, but I would say 90% are in the database and are represented well so far that, you know, if we run across we go look and we say like, well, is this person in there? Well, 90% of the time we'll find them in there. That's amazing. Yeah. Is there anything else I missed that we should talk about with the Saga project or stuff you're working on for Icelandic Roots? So um, what I'd like to do with this is to make, you know, like you're someone who has an interest in the sagas. It's, you've sort of absorbed it through osmosis a little bit yeah. because of your husband and, uh, and Kent and other people. I'd like to get people back to reading the sagas. And I think that's a heavy lift, right? Because we, there's so much information we face every day and so, social media and 
streaming media and other things. And so how do you get people to, this is people's history. This is their, this, these are the stories of their ancestors and they wrote them down at a time in Icelandic history when Iceland was changing, much like, much with the same motivation that we have for Icelandic roots, right? So a lot of what we're trying to do is preserve the culture, say for Westerners. So you came West, your family came West. We want you, we want to preserve this culture for you so that you can learn it and understand it. And that that's what was happening when they were writing the sagas. It was at a time when Norway was going to take over uh, or did take over Iceland, ruling Iceland. And many Icelanders felt that since they were losing their independence, they would also lose their culture. And mm -hmm. so in the 1200s, they were writing these stories and um, in the 13th century. And they were talking about things that they mostly had an oral tradition about and people were somewhat lazy about writing down because they didn't have to, right? It was like really part of their lives. Uh, so they felt this pressure to preserve history. And they said, let's use this technology vellum and you know the calfskin and let's put it on paper. And so to speak with quotation marks. Uh -huh. And then other people can read it and our children and their children will know the sagas and everything that has gone on since we got here to the island and all the feuds and all the, the morals of every story and uh, how to live your life and you know all these things that they had compiled in this literature. And so that, that's what they did, right? And, and I sort of feel like we're trying to do something similar. We're trying to preserve using more modern technology and we don't have vellum anymore, but we have relational databases and uh, geocoding and other things. And so we're trying to also preserve that uh, for our kids and their kids uh, so that they have better access. And so I think if, if people wanna read the sagas, it is difficult to just sit down and read a saga. Um, it's a different style of writing. What I recommend is you know, trying to learn something about, read summaries of the saga, read, um, get, listen to a saga podcast, um, go look at the places, let it kind of seep in, and then you'll want to read it. Once you have some understanding of who the characters are and what they're doing, you'll, you'll want to sit down and read it, and then you'll really understand it in a much deeper way. I think the other thing that makes reading sagas difficult is they were obsessed with genealogy, just like the Icelandic roots people are obsessed with genealogy. And it, it runs in the family, I guess. And uh, they, you, when you, read, you open up a saga and you start to read it, the first 20 or so pages are just telling you who's related to who and whose grandfather was, was who and, and how is this person related to that person. And they're the son of so-and-so. And it just goes on and on. You actually need to sit down with paper and really map it all out in a tree, so that a family tree, so that you can actually even remember any of it for the rest of the story. So that can be a kind of a turnoff if you aren't familiar with that or don't, you know, in our modern culture, we don't really rely on knowing people's families, family backgrounds. We have other ways of knowing if people are respectable or good people. 
but mm -hmm. back then they didn't. And so they would rely heavily on where you descended from. Um, and so anyway, that's another thing is, uh, I think you have to, you know, don't beat yourself up trying to read the sagas. You let it absorb slowly and try to develop some interest in a storyline that once you understand the summary, look at the places with the saga map, look how they relate to where your family came from and, and then, and then read it. Yeah. Listening to you, listening to everything you've just said makes me think that, okay, there are podcasts out there that exist that discuss the sagas in length and they're entertaining. So maybe <laughs> this is where I relate to Suna. <laughs> maybe we could do a blog series or something where <laughs> focus on a saga and say, okay, go listen to these episodes to hear more about it. You can read it if you want and Maybe someday we could even have like, if there's any volunteers with Isonic Roots who have read them or want to, we could have our own little discussion episodes about something. Yeah, I that's perfectly legitimate. You know, I think, again, these were oral stories that were transmitted generation to generation the first few hundred years of the settlement. Mm -hmm. They weren't written down. No one read the sagas. They talked about the sagas. It really means saga means something said if you translate it into English. So it was something that you said, you sat with other people and you talked about it. And then that turned into written sagas, which is just another medium for something said. And people were expected to read it and they would they would read the sagas, uh, particularly in the winter time, because farm life was difficult. And um, so they would, in the evenings, they would sit down and, and get together and talk about the sagas and read, read parts of it. And that's another, you know, that became another quote technology, let's sit down and read these books. Yeah. And when Western Icelanders came to Canada, the um, Lord Dufferin commented how they all brought their sagas. So that was, you know, I don't know how many, 600 years after they were written, they, they were still doing that and they brought them to North America. Um, but technology changes and times change. And, you know, people have preserved the sagas by transferring them to new technologies in the past. There's no reason why you can't do that now. You can, you can watch a, a streaming story about a saga or mm. listen to a podcast, do, you know, get it from multiple sources and then really try to understand the story. And then at some point you'll, you will want to read it and then you'll want to talk about it. And then, then you'll be back to uh, uh, before the 1200s when you're sitting around talking about a story and how important it is and what it means. Yes. And I, I don't think the genealogy is so much as a hurdle when it's told verbally as opposed to reading it because I there's so much yeah. influence on like you think I think Game of Thrones and I think Lord of the Rings and they introduce people. This is so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. Right. It's like that still is around. It's just hard that's right. to read it in a dense text. That's right. I agree with that. Yeah, that's true. I think this is a great segue to a fun activity we like to do with all our guests, and that is to use the relationship calculator. Ah, uh, okay. Should I get on that with my computer? You can, or I can just 
share my screen. Okay. I've, I've gone in to see if you and I are related. And we are, drum roll. All right. We are eight and a half cousins. Okay. <laughs> There's our common ancestor from 1677. Hala Bjorn's daughter. Okay, Ooh. that's great. I was joking. Where did Hala live? Oh, that's a good question. Leo Salahetti. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I love this feature. And I was sort of joking with Jody in another interview about how Western Icelanders, when we love genealogy, we get so thrilled to find the connections, even when they're nine generations ago. <laughs> No, it's really, it is interesting though. I mean, I've, because there were so few people on the island for mm -hmm. so long because of all the volcanic activity and, you know, epidemics, uh, disease epidemics, it just kept this small number. And so you're always kind of somewhat closely related to someone today. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. And it, Whenever I go into the database, it's hard because I'll see someone like Hatla, and then I see, oh, we don't know her death date. We don't know much about her. It's like, oh, now I got to go digging, but I can't do everybody. <laughs> Not all at once. Yeah, it's interesting. I, if you talk to Icelanders, because they have their own government-sponsored database, there's no Westerners in it. Mm -mm. so they'll say oh maybe we're cousins and you'll say yes we are and you'll tell them how they how did you know that i don't see you in the database like well we have our own database yeah yes we do and we have more freedom because we can explore right the ancestors who aren't necessarily in our directory right but are still probably related thank you so much jason for coming on the podcast and talking about the saga places Thank you. I really enjoyed it. This episode was created and produced by Natalie Guttormsen and Will Beaton. Thank you always to Lindy Voppenfjord for allowing us to play his song, Give Some Love, during our introduction. And thank you to Jason Doctor for taking the time to talk with us. You can learn more about Icelandic culture and heritage on our website, www.icelandicroots.com, by signing up for our newsletter and by following Icelandic Roots on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed listening to the Icelandic Roots podcast, please share it with your friends and family. We're currently available for listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Audible, and on the Podbean app. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Vith Sjámst.